go to Proverbs chapter 28 uh, this morning. Proverbs chapter 28. We're going to read one verse to you. And one of the things that uh, I like to do, you know, every once in a while, especially when I'm reading through the book of Proverbs, Proverbs covers so many different things. And, you know, I'll, I'll come across the verse that kind of catches my attention. I like to, I usually save it and, uh, I'll leave it in my office. I'll, I'll mark it down. And I remember, I was like, I need to go back and study that one. And I think it would be a good message to preach a message on. But this verse here, this um, isn't necessarily a command that we see, but it's basically, uh, it's a proverb. He's making an observation here. This is not a good thing. And it says in Proverbs 28, verse 28, it says, "...when the wicked rise, men hide themselves. But when they perish, the righteous increase." This is a very true saying, but it's a very sad saying. When the wicked rise, men hide themselves. The good men, those who are just, they kind of go into hiding. But then all of a sudden, whenever they die off and they're not around anymore, all of a sudden, you have all these people that kind of come out of hiding. Turns out that they, in fact, were righteous. And right now, I feel like we're kind of in a position like that in our country where it clearly seems like the wicked are on the rise and are increasing in greater numbers. And it seems like the righteous are becoming fewer and fewer. And the truth is, I think there's still quite a few righteous out there. In fact, I think, I think there's a great deal of them out there. However, I think that many are in hiding today. I think, I think here in our own area, uh, obviously there's a lot of wickedness that goes on in our own area. And it's like, you know, where are God's people? And I personally believe that they're around, but I'm afraid many of them are in hiding. And I believe a lot of that is because the wicked are rising up. And this morning, I want to preach a message that's called, It's Time to Come Out of Hiding. It's time to come out of hiding. I believe that God's people are out there. They're all over this country. I believe they're in this area. I mean, good, God-fearing people, but... I think they're doing a really good job hiding. And we're having a tough time finding them. And we see some examples of that in the Bible where there were some times, there were some dark times where the wicked did rise up and it seemed like there were no righteous around. There's a great example of that we're going to look at in the Bible. And then, but, uh, they, it turns out they were around, they were just, they were in hiding. And it's true that we're living in wicked times. It seems the devil is getting victory in so many areas and that good, godly people are just harder to find than ever. And as wicked as it seems to be right now, I do. I believe there's many good, God-fearing people out there. They're just they're in hiding. And the truth is, this isn't time for God's people to go into hiding. Now more than ever, we need God's people to rise up, come out of the shadows. And I believe that we can, that there are things that we can do to help get these people to come out of hiding, because I do, I believe, I believe they're all over in this area. I believe, and I, I know today, obviously, a lot of folks are home because of the bad weather. But I think on a weekly basis, I think this place should be full of God-fearing people. That I just think we haven't found them yet, and they haven't found us. And I think there's some things that we can do that will help get them to come out of hiding. And a great example of this is in 1 Kings chapter 19. 1 Kings chapter 19. I'm going to read a passage of Scripture here for you. I'll 
give you a little background on it. But this is a story of Elijah. And Elijah, he has just won a great victory all by himself. Elijah, he stood alone against all the prophets of Baal and the prophets of Jezebel. I mean, he just stands against all these wicked people all by himself. And God gives him a great victory. And you'd think Elijah would be on top of the world because of this great victory. But he wasn't. Jezebel had said that she was going to kill Elijah. And Elijah, he got scared. He got discouraged. He ran. He went and he hid in a cave. And he started feeling sorry for himself. And a lot of why he was feeling sorry for himself was because he felt very alone. And you know what? And This is a very easy time to get to feeling like you are alone in the world when it comes to just all the wickedness that's going on and just finding righteous people. Seems difficult. And it says in verse 13, it says, and so God was getting ready to speak to Elijah. It says, and so it was when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entering in of the cave. And behold, there came a voice in him and said, What doest thou here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts because the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said unto him, Go return on thy way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when thou comest, anoint Hazael to be king over Syria, and Jehu the son of Nimshai shalt thou anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel-Meholah, shalt thou anoint to be prophet in thy room. And it shall come to pass that him that escapeth the sword of Hazael shall Jehu slay, and him that escapeth the sword of Jehu shall Elisha slay. Yet I have left me seven thousand in Israel, all the knees which have not bowed unto Baal, and every mouth that hath not kissed him. Notice how God says, "There's hey Elijah, there's still 7,000 people out there that have not bowed the knee to Baal. They have not kissed his hand. There's 7,000. It turned out that Elijah, while he felt very alone at this time, that he was not alone. That God knew that there were, hey, there's a lot more. And you know, sometimes you might get to feeling that way even in this house. Like, you know, where are God's people? And we get to feeling all alone, and sometimes you can get to feeling sorry for yourself. But I do, I believe that God's people are out there. People that love God. But like I said, we haven't found them, they haven't found us. And Elijah here, he's feeling all alone. And you might get to feeling that way sometime. And so we've got to, we've got to do something to get one, we've got to make sure we don't go into hiding. And then two, we've got to do something to get other people to come out of hiding. So what can we do? And really, I've only got I've got one point with four subpoints. Alright, so it's not not gonna be that short. <laughs> but uh, one point, and really what we've got to do to get people to come out of hiding is you gotta let your light shine. You just gotta let your light shine. Matthew chapter five, verse fourteen. Through sixteen, this is part of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, and He said, "Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven." When you're saved, the light of God 
is in you. Jesus Christ, He's the light of the world, and that light uh, is something that's supposed to shine. We're supposed to let shine in our life. But I believe many people today are, in fact, hiding it under a bushel. That's why I said you got to let your light so shine before men. We've got to let people see our good works. We've got to let them know who we are if we're going to get the other ones to come out of hiding. Because I do. I believe there's many that their lights are under a bushel right now. That they're hidden. And if we're going to, if we're going to find each other, we've got to make sure we're doing everything we can to let our light shine. And we do that. And this is where the four subpoints come in. By one, just letting people see your works. And what are what are the ways we do that? Well, they're not always fun ways, but it says in chapter, verse 44 of that same chapter, but I say unto you, love your enemies. He said love your enemies. That's one of the ways that we let our light shine. He said bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. And pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you, that ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. For He maketh the sun to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. Did you know that right now, that godly people are suffering a bad winter just like the ungodly people are? Did you know that? God sent a snowstorm on the wicked, and they deserved it. But He sent it on the righteous too. And you know he said, hey, he sends he sends the rain on the just and on the unjust. You know God has blessed our country, which has benefited the righteous and the unrighteous. It's benefited the saved and the lost. And so the way God's and God's told us that we need to be the ones that show a difference, that make the difference, that we love our enemies, that we bless them that curse us. And then he says, and he said, uh, be ye the herb. And verse 46 says, For if ye love them which love you, what reward have ye? Do not even the publicans the same. If ye salute your brethren only, what do ye more than others? Do not even the publicans so. Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. And that word perfect, not talking about sinless perfection, but talking about being complete. See, any lost person can be nice to people that are nice to them. Any lost person can do that. Any lost person can do good things to those who do good to them. But a person who is whole, a person who is complete, a person who is perfect can do like Christ and they can love their enemies. They can bless them that curse them, do good to them, that do evil to them. That's what that's one of the things that God's told us to do so we can let our light shine. We've got to be actively doing those things. We've got to be doing good works to people who don't deserve good done to them. We've got to show kindness. Not just to those who are deserving. We It's got to be to those who don't deserve it. We've got to be good to people and we've got to be kind to those who come to our church and visit us. Uh, you know, and uh, Whether they have a lot to offer or whether they have nothing to offer. We've, those who we work with, We've got to make sure that we have a good testimony, that we set a good example whether they deserve it or not. If we are jerks to the jerks, then how are we going to, how do we let our light shine? How are they going to know that we are a Christian? They're just going to think we're a jerk too. And we've, we've got to learn to set that example. We can't act like the world. 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 17. 
It says, Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. We've got to, we cannot be like them. We can't touch the unclean thing. If we're, if we're in the same sin that they're in, if we're in doing all the same junk that they're doing, then how are we supposed to stand out? How are we supposed to let our light shine? If we're just blending in with everyone else? And the truth is, I do, I believe there's many Christians out there, many saved people that love God that you can't find them. They're not letting their light shine. They're not doing things like loving their enemies. Many people uh, who are Christian people that love God seem to just hate everyone else. That's not what God's called us to do. I mean, boy, they're, I mean, they just, they hate everybody in the world. They want to just take their families and move out in the middle of nowhere where they never have to see anybody, never have to be around anybody else. How are you supposed to let your light shine that way? I mean, they're, I mean, sometimes you're the most strict Christian people can be some of the meanest ones in the world. I mean, they hate everybody. I mean, they look at you and you're not dressed the way they're dressed and they just, they look you up and down. I mean, maybe church. Sometimes churches are like that. People come into church and they don't look a certain way, and they just look at you like, "What do you think you're doing here?" I'm sorry, that is not a way to. That's not how we let our light shine. That is not what it's all about. We've got we've got to love our enemies. We cannot act like the world. We need we need to let people see our works, and we can't do that in hiding. And you know what? We can do good things to each other too. As brothers and sisters in Christ, that's fine. But did you know that's also not necessarily letting your light shine? You know, it's understandable if all of us who are in the same church, we obviously have certain things in common and are going to be friends and are going to be close. But you know what? Guys at the Elks Club will do that too. <laughs> you know, they're good to the other guys in the Elks Club or whatever, whatever clubs or groups that they have out there. How are we any different than them unless we're willing to step outside and do good to others? Especially those uh, who are doing evil to us. So, we need to let people see our works. Then also, we need to share our faith with others. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15 says, "...but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Notice how the Bible says we're always supposed to be ready to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason. So my question is, why would someone ask you about your faith unless they've seen something different in you that they want? I mean, really... Have you ever seen some before? You know, like you know, maybe you know, we've got a lot of the Amish folks in this area. Have you ever just been curious and wanted to go and ask, hey, you know, why do y'all dress the way you dress? Or uh, you know, maybe you know, uh, people that do different things. Where you know, I've always kind of, I remember one time I went to the gas station. There was a bunch of people that came out and they all had the ashes on their forehead. And, you know, have you ever? Hey, why do you have ashes? All over your forehead? <laughs> you know, what's the purpose of that? I mean, there's a lot of questions I'd like to ask people of other religions, not just, you know, just, I guess, kind of out of 
curiosity. You, know, you, see, you see him doing those things and some of them are pretty goofy. And the Bible says we're supposed to be able to give an answer. It needs to be a biblical answer. If you're putting ashes in your head, uh, hey, that's fine if you can go to the Bible and show where you're supposed to put ashes in your head a certain time of year. I haven't found that yet. Uh, when I do, I guess I'll start doing it. But <laughs> nobody, showed, nobody showed me yet. So uh, I, ha- I haven't done it. Uh, but uh, but why would somebody ask you? Okay, I mean, if we are so godly, if we are so special, if we are letting our light shine, what is it about you that would make somebody ask you about your faith? I mean, what? Because and, and once again, if somebody's going to ask you, there's obviously going to be. It's probably going to be because of something that maybe they're curious about. Sometimes people, I've had, I've worked with people, and they've asked me questions, and it's just because they're wanting to make fun. Okay. I don't even usually answer those people. I call that casting your pearls before swine. Okay, they're just going to trample them under the feet, turn again, and rend you. Sometimes people just want to make fun, but there there have been times. There's some people they really want to know. Hey, there's something different. You know, you seem. I mean, uh, one of the things that the world wants. You know, they want peace and happiness. They want good families. They want that joy that as Christians that we're supposed to have. And we need to be able to share our faith. If somebody comes and asks us about, a lot of times, if you go and ask somebody about their faith, it'll scare them to death. I mean, I've I've thought about it before. So you know, I, I try not to be mean, but I mean, I'm telling you right now, most Christians, if if they you saw them out in public, especially teenagers, you know, a lot of times there's teenagers. You know, their parents will force them to dress a certain way. They'll force them to dress like a Christian or whatever. You go out and meet them in public, and you question them on it. I mean, you will scare them to death. Right? Why do you guys dress like that? I've, I've been. I remember when I was youth director, we were at uh, we were at Six Flags, and you know we were there at the big youth conference. So There's all kinds of people. You know, they were dressed real conservative and stuff. And people, I remember other teenagers were kind of looking around, and I heard some asking about it, and I think it kind of freaked out some of the teenagers because they had no why they were. Idea why they were dressed that way. This is where they make us <laughs> these things, and and that said, it shouldn't be it shouldn't be that attitude. We ought to be able to give an answer. Why you know why do you act? Why do you do that? Why do you go to church all the time? You know why do you why do you read your Bible? Why you know why don't you talk that way? Why don't you go to these places? We ought to be able to give Bible answers to people. We ought to be willing and we ought to be ready to share our faith. We ought to be able to say, you know what? Hey, let me take my Bible. I, I can show you. Or we ought to be able to know the verses and be able to quote those verses to people. You know, the Bible says this. People have a tough time trumping that. We can talk opinions all day long, but when you throw Scripture at people, that's hard to trump. Well, you know, the Bible says, thou shalt not. You know, well, how do you trump a Ten Commandments? You know, it's pretty tough. And oh, you know, this is how I feel. Well, and you know, sometimes I'll even tell people, well, you know, I agree with you. I feel the same way. But you know what? I figure if me and God have a disagreement, He's probably right, and I'm probably wrong. So I'm going to do what He says. And His Word says this: we've got we've got to be better about sharing our faith and letting people letting people know. And except we, and if people are going to ask us, that means they've seen something. Different, and if we're just like the world, why would they ask us anything? Why would they? I mean, what, so there's there's really would be no reason. And we, but we need to be sharing our faith. 
Another thing we need to do, and I think this is interesting, and I never really thought about this before until I was studying this passage, but back in 1 Kings, remember how Elijah, he's, or Elijah, he's there and he's feeling pretty lonely. He thinks he's the only one that's serving God. He's the only one that's faithful. All of Israel's forsaken God except for him. And the truth is, a majority, there was a lot more than 7,000 people or even 14,000 people in Israel during that time. And there were thousands and thousands. But God said there's still 7,000 that are left. And you know, the truth is, God's not looking for a huge number, but He is looking for a faithful people. Now, He wants as many people as possible to be in that number, but God's not going to go and compromise things so He can get a bigger number. Okay, God's not interested in a number. He's interested in faithfulness. He's interested in people following His Word. But another thing that we can do to help let our light shine and get people to come out of hiding okay, is team up with other believers. Okay, God heard Elijah's prayer and God told Elijah, "All right, after this happens, He says, I want you to go and I want you to anoint a king, a Hazael king of Syria. I want you to anoint Jehu king of Israel. And then I want you to go and anoint Elisha. And he's going, he's going to follow after you. And it says in 1 Kings 19, 19, after that, uh, after this, so, so, so he departed thence and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with twelve yoke of oxen before him. And he with the twelfth, and Elijah passed by him and cast his mantle upon him. You know what God was doing for Elijah here? He was showing Elijah that, you know what? You need some companionship right now. You need somebody working with you. You need to partner up with somebody right now. And it turns out there's another guy a lot like you. His name's Elisha. And you need to go and you need to anoint him. And Elijah did. He went and he cast his mantle over him. And for the rest of Elijah's time on earth, Elisha followed with Elijah. Because you know what? We, we all need, we do, we need that Christian companionship. We need that Christian friendship. That's one of the main, one of the big reasons for the church. And then go in Second Kings chapter two. I want to turn over there. Second Kings chapter two, because this is interesting. All right, because remember, Elijah, Elijah thinks he's alone, and we might get, we're going to get to thick, feeling like we're alone. But God said, no, there's more out there. And then God starts showing them where these are. We don't know how everything unfolds. I don't know how the timeline all works out here, but we do see that after Elijah was feeling alone, that God had him team up with Elisha. He needed that help there. But then, later on, when Elijah when Elijah's getting ready to go to heaven, it says in chapter 2, verse 1, "...and it came to pass..." When the Lord would take up Elijah into heaven by a whirlwind, that Elijah went with Elisha from Gilgal. And Elijah said unto Elisha, Tarry here, I pray thee for the Lord. And he sent me to Bethel. And Elisha said unto him, As the Lord liveth and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. So they went down to Bethel. Alright, so they're in Bethel. And the sons of the prophets that were at Bethel came forth to Elisha and said unto him, Knowest thou that thy Lord will take away thy master from thy head today? And he said, Yeah, I know. Hold ye your peace. Here we have a group, it doesn't say how many here, of the sons of the prophets that come out and meet him there in Bethel. Turns out, there were some other prophets that they had found. There was another group that they obviously had gotten to know and they saw these people and they knew them there in Bethel. 
And then in verse 4, Elijah said unto him, Elisha, tarry here, I pray thee, for the Lord hath sent me to Jericho. And he said, As the Lord liveth, and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. So they came to Jericho, and the sons of the prophets that were at Jericho came to Elisha. So there was another group of prophets here that we see that Elijah and Elisha know. There's a lot more. I tell you, there's a lot more now that Elijah's kind of teamed up with than before when he thought he was all by himself. And it says, and he answered, Yea, I know it, hold ye your peace. And Elijah said unto him, Tarry here, I pray thee here, for the Lord hath sent me to Jordan. And as he and he said, As the Lord liveth as I soul live, thou not leave thee. And they too went on. And fifty men of the sons of the prophets went and stood to view afar off, and they too stood by Jordan. So here we have fifty of them at Jordan. So you can see here that fifty God went, and I believe a lot of this maybe had was a result of what Elijah did there on Mount Carmel when he won that battle. That one guy, he went and stood against all those wicked prophets. He went and stood, and it turns out there were a whole bunch of other ones out there. And I think what probably happened is a lot of them came out of hiding after they saw what Elijah did. They saw the stand that Elijah took, and they knew, hey, we can expose ourselves to this guy. We, you know, hey, this guy, he was able to take a stand. We can come out of hiding. We can take a stand too. And here we've got three different groups of prophets or sons of prophets that Elijah and Elisha knew. And the truth is, when we take a stand, when we let our light shine, it's the other groups out there, the other Christians, the other ones of God's people, they're going to see what's going on. And we can motivate them to come out of hiding. If they see us take a stand, it'll motivate them to take a stand. It'll motivate them to come out of the shadows and to make a difference. Because we all need each other for that. We all need each other for that moral support. It is very important to have that companionship and that help. And unfortunately, one of the reasons many people feel so alone is because they themselves are in hiding. And if you're in hiding, how are God's people supposed to find you? We're not supposed to be hiding. We're supposed to be letting our light shine. Letting people see our good works. We're supposed to be sharing our faith with others. We're supposed to be teaming up with other believers. We need to be coming together as a church. And we want this church to grow. We need to get... Listen, there are a lot of churches out there. Some good, some not so good. And there are people out there that I think if they knew about our church, if they knew what was going on, if they knew what we taught and what we believed, I think they'd be here. But how are they going to know? Our building isn't going to just speak for itself. There's church buildings all over this place. God's people in the church, we've got to be the ones doing all these things so the others out there can find out, hey, there's a there's a group of people here that love the Lord and that are serving God and are following the Bible. And that are taking a stand, and we can that believe what we believe, and we can join up with these people. And we need to team up with other believers. And the last thing we've got to be doing is we've got to be, we've just got to be recruiting. And we've got to recruit. We've got to go out and go get those who are not in hiding because they they're just they're not saved. They're lost. There's people out there that need to be in this church that need to be a part of this that. Today might not be in church. They might be in a bar somewhere getting drunk. It might be somebody right now. They're doing drugs. 
people that we need to be reaching with the Gospel. This is what the Great Commission is. Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, He said, "...Go ye into all the world and preach the Gospel to every creature..." Or, you know, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. We're supposed to be going and reaching the lost with the gospel, not just going out and trying to get other saved people to come to our church. Okay, we do want to try to get some of them to come out of hiding, but ultimately, what we're wanting to do is we're wanting to recruit new believers, tell lost people about Jesus Christ, and get them on our team after they get saved. They've received the spirit of adoption. They are our brothers and sisters in Christ. We can teach them. We can show them what the Bible says. And we can teach them the ways of God and how they can live uh, They can live good godly lives and be good God-fearing people and how to take a stand and let their light shine. We've got to be recruiting. We can't ever stop doing that. That's something that that job will end when the Lord returns or when the whole world gets saved. And until then, we've got to just we've got to keep doing that. But how in the world can we recruit if we're in hiding? How in the world can we recruit if as a church, even though we even though our church building it's right here, it's in the middle of town, it's in a public place, it's got a cross on it, it's got our it's got our name on it. We've got to be we've got to do more than just sit here and show up as a group to get people in here. We've got to we've got to invite. We've got to share the gospel. We've got to pass out the gospel tracts and you know ask, we've got to ask people, hey, have you ever you know if you die today where you spend eternity? We've got we've got to do those things. It's not fun, it's not necessarily comfortable maybe. You you might get some weird looks, people might think you're some kind of fanatic. But if we're going to recruit, we can't blend we can't just blend in. We can't do it being in hiding. We've got to come out of the shadows. We've got to be vocal about who we are. And I believe that one of the reasons that we're not seeing the revivals we need to do today and that the wicked are rising the way they are rising today is because more and more of God's people are just giving up and going into hiding. And this isn't the time to do that. Proverbs 28.28, When the wicked rise, men hide themselves, but when they perish... The righteous increase, and then in verse twelve, a little while before this says, "When the right, when righteous men do rejoice, there is great glory. But when the wicked rise, a man is hidden." And we are we're at a time when the wickedness seems to be rising greater and greater. But this verse in Proverbs, it's not a command to go into hiding. He's just making an observation. This is what's happening. As Christians, we have no excuse to be a part of that. The Bible says, "Greater is He that is in you than he that is in the world." We should not let that stop us one bit. And it's like, but you know, people are just so wicked. You know, our our government—it's getting so bad. Our politicians are so wicked. And I say, I've said this before, and I'll say it again: our politicians—they just—they go with the flow. And I believe if God's people would start coming out of hiding, I'll bet that there's probably quite a few in there that even love God and are saved and are God-fearing people, but we don't know their names. They're, they're kind of in hiding. We don't know that. They're being quiet 
about their beliefs. They don't want to be too vocal. They're not taking a stand. They're just kind of hanging back in the shadows. And if God's people would rise up and make a difference, politicians said they go with the flow. I think they would. They'd come out of hiding. All of a sudden, we'd start finding out all kinds of them believe the Bible and and love God and have testimonies of salvation. But unfortunately, because God's people are hiding here in the communities and here in the world in the churches, they're hiding in Washington too. And we've got to be the ones to come out of hiding first. And then they will next. And we need the righteous to start rising up and let the wicked go into hiding. And the wicked will always be around. And you know what? The righteous will always be around. But at the same time, I don't want to. You know, we're going to be around, but I don't want to be hiding. I want to be doing something to make a difference. And with the help of God, we can make a difference. We can make a difference in this community. We've got to do these things. We've got to let our light shine in this area. And I do. I I, I believe with all my heart that this area is. There's many people all over within driving distance of this place. That do they love God and are 100 percent for what we are for? Love the Word of God, but what are we doing to let them know where we're at? They might be in hiding right now. We need to motivate them to come out. So let's stand together, with our heads bowed, and eyes closed.